everybody. Welcome to Media Review Pod, a variety podcast of discussions, opinions, and interviews focusing on the entertainment side of media. My name is Richard Santiago, and today we'll be talking about the HBO series Watchmen. It's a series created by Damon Lindelof based on the graphic novel of the same name, written by Alan Moore and illustrated by Dave Gibbons. As always, you can tweet us at Twitter using the Twitter handle at Media Review Pod and the hashtag Media Review Pod. You can send us an email at mediareviewpod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions. And you can always leave a voicemail calling us at 407-603-5847. Also, if you like what you're listening to and the content that we put out, please, please rate and review the show by going to our Apple podcast page and leaving a five-star review. This helps us to get noticed and, you know, hopefully get a little bit more listeners. All right, so on with the show. My guest today is a very, very dear friend of mine who not only was she literally the first person I saw at USC, but she became my partner for a good chunk of our tenure over there. And we've been on 5K runs together. We've, we've hiked together. We've, we've shared a turkey or two in my place. And, and I've held each of your kids the yeah. day after they were, or the day after they were born, well, well, the, or the day the, the that day, they were born. Yeah, I think the day they were. Yeah, she was there both times when my wife gave birth, and she took pictures of her baby boys. Yes, sir. Yeah, she's a fellow USC alumnus who currently works in post production for a major studio in Hollywood. <laughs> Yamina McKessie, <laughs> welcome to the pod. Finally. Hello, hello. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And, you know, ever since I started this podcast, you know, I've been trying to find a way to get you in here. And it looks like we finally, <laughs> I don't know why. We finally why? found the perfect subject, I think, I hope. Right. I think so. All right. So before before uh, we discuss Watchmen or, or anything else, okay. I, I wanted to get the audience to know a little bit about you. So are you ready? Sure. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Where were you born and raised? I was born in the Bronx. Uh, when I was a baby, we moved to Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is about an hour to an hour and a half-ish, I guess, outside of New York City. Uh, but always had family in Brooklyn and Queens. So I was there weekends and holidays and summers. So I always feel like New York is home. But mm -hmm. in terms of where I went to like high school and elementary school, that was all in Connecticut. Okay. And then undergrad, I went to the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Nice. What was your major? Yeah. I was an English major with minors in Spanish and African-American studies. Wow. I hear that. And all I'm listening to is money, 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 money. Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. Money out of my pocket, right? <laughs> like not not money in, <laughs> just out. So okay. so did you, did you join... Um, did you join the workforce once you graduated? I did. Um, I So in college, I was an English major. Uh, I went to school thinking that I wanted to be uh, in journalism. I at first wanted to be in broadcast journalism. And so, but then I got to Penn and realized that their school of communication mm -hmm. is not a school of communications. So there wasn't a practical side to it. It was uh -huh. more theoretical. Okay. So I switched to the English major just wanting to keep up with my writing skills. 
And once I graduated, being in Philly, I wanted to work for a magazine um, with the goal of someday editing and running my own hip hop magazine. That nice. went, I mean, who reads magazines anymore? So kind of glad I didn't go that <laughs> route. Um, but yes. Yeah, so hey, you can still I, blog about it. You can still blog about it <laughs> if you can find someone to read your blogs anymore. Right. There's so many. Um, but yeah, when I graduated, I worked at TV Guide for a hot second. Um, then I worked at a medical journal because that was what was in Philadelphia in terms of um, magazine publishing and editorial and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I decided I didn't want to be in Philly anymore. And I didn't, I wanted to be making media that uh, I understood or that I related to. And that was not going to be at a medical journal. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I packed up and moved to New York with no real plans. I had a little bit of savings and thought, I, I think I thought I was going to go to bartending school cause that was going to make me so much money. No, it did not. Um, I couch surfed for a long time and I sent an email out to a bunch of friends saying, Hey, does anyone know anyone who works in film or photography? And a friend of mine uh, responded and said, Hey, my brother's a grip. He brought me to my first music video set and I was off to the races ever since I, um, worked in film production on the physical, um, side in terms of being on set and everything as a set PA, Mm -hmm. uh, moved my way up into gripping and electricing and sometimes camera assisting, uh, freelancing, but freelancing, doing all that was kind of rough just because I didn't have stable income and I didn't have anyone who could support me. So when things were dry, I would temp in just offices, doing office work, administrative, whateverness. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those gigs offered me full-time work and I was like, yeah, I kind of need the health insurance and I need to be able to pay rent because I've run out of couches. Um, so, and this is all in New York, right? This is all in New York. Um, I worked at a nonprofit healthcare organization that was located in the Empire State Building at the time. So, I worked on the 23rd floor of the Empire State Building. Nice. It was it was, it was interesting. <laughs> so, so in terms of of your um creative side, were you mm-hmm. writing during this period of your life? I was writing. I actually shot a short, okay. uh, my first short, uh, when I was working there. Uh, I had a great crew, and I had a great actress. She's actually, um, she's a well-known actress, and she's working. Uh, her name is Dewanda Wise. She's in. Uh, she's a star of She's Got to Have It on Netflix. Okay. Um, when she was in my short, she was straight out of NYU. Um, and she's a, she's a great, great actress and a great person. And you shot this on video um, or on film? Uh, on video. Okay. On video. Yeah. And then I was writing and I just didn't know having worked on the film side of things or on the, having worked in the physical production side of things in terms of um, being on set, I wasn't learning what it meant to get to set. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know what it meant to like, how that script come about? How did we get the funding to be here? 
who's paying me? Who, what does a producer do? What, you know, what does, you know, X, Y, Z person do? And why are you all here? How did we all get to this? Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you're on set, you're kind of, for very good reasons, safety, efficiency, you know, cost, you have a role to play. And on certain sets, if you are asking a bunch of questions or, you know, trying to see what other people are doing, then you're not doing your job and you're not playing your role. So I needed to know how we all, what the the bigger kind of picture was in terms of how a, a production got to be that production. Mm-hmm. And for me, I felt like I was only going to learn that through school, through film school um, and, or, or grad school, I should say. Uh, and I, needed a way to get out of my nine to five (laughs) right and i needed a way to i i always knew california would be a part of my future i didn't exactly know how specifically Mm -hmm. but i knew that there was something that i had to do out here or i had to at least get to know what it meant to be hear what Hollywood was because when I was in New York I didn't know what any of that meant at all I didn't know about major studios and um, networks and production companies like all of that was just foreign to me very very foreign Uh, so so yeah film school for me was a, a way to try and open up my my eyes to all of that so was USC always at the top of your list no, it was not. Okay. <laughs> um, because I lived in New York. Right. And, uh, NYU was right there. NYU was right there. I applied to NYU. I, I applied twice to NYU. Did not get in. Um, I did not apply to Columbia. Uh, where else? I guess maybe I could have applied to Temple in Philadelphia, but I didn't, I didn't want to do Philly again. Um, and so I, but I also applied to USC and UCLA. And I got into both and chose USC over UCLA, um, not because I have any sort of Trojan Bruin loyalty <laughs> or any of that. Can I curse on this? Hey, hey. Yeah, you can curse. Oh, sweet. I don't give a shit about any of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> here's here's how, how cursing works on this podcast. I try my best not to do it. Um, but if my guests want to curse, they are more than welcomed. I do have an explicit little icon on the on the podcast whenever you download it. So got whoever it, listens it. to it knows what they're getting into. So you got to California. You you started USC. Um, started USC. And you uh, moved and did you move and start school right after or were you there for a while? No, I moved specifically for USC. Okay. So put all my stuff in boxes, UPSed it to LA. Um, I had a friend out here already who found me an apartment um, that I still currently live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I, I shipped myself out here. I didn't drive across the country or anything. I, I did ship myself out here. And then film school was three years. Uh, a little bit more. I, technically. <laughs> three to four, honestly. Yeah. Depending yeah. on circumstances and situations. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, 
we we were in film school. We did a bunch of shorts together. We took some classes yes. together. Yes. Um, what do you think is is the thing that that you most appreciate from being in, in film school? I the biggest takeaway from film school, honestly, were the people around us, everyone that we got to know. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I always say. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff. And I think even though it's been some time clearly since we were in school, mm-hmm. um, so people will ask often, would you suggest film school? Is that something that you think you need? And nowadays, I don't know that I would actually suggest it so much because I feel like there's so many more resources online than mm-hmm. there were when we were starting. But it's just, it's about meeting the people. Mm-hmm. Uh some of the technical stuff, yes, you know, you can't deny that. Um, and you can't deny uh, some of the a- academic value, especially if you didn't go to, if you didn't have a film major when you were in undergrad or you didn't take film classes when you were in undergrad, which I did not. I did take one class and it was actually the one class that introduced me to the idea that I could maybe want to work in this business. Um, And this was during undergrad. Uh, It was by a professor named uh, Donald Bogle. And he wrote a book that I'm actually looking at right now because I keep it very prominently displayed. called Tom's, Coons, Mulattoes, Mammies, and Bucks. And essentially, it is an interpretive history of Blacks and American films. It's a standard um, uh, piece of literature for, uh, I, I would hope for anyone that's in this industry or who's taken this class or who's studied film academically, but also... Um, for anyone who studied African-American film. Mm-hmm. Um, he also taught, he taught both at Penn and at NYU. Um, and his book is kind of, ask a lot of people, they know. Um, okay. Or a lot of Black people in film know because it's it's kind of that go-to book where just, he, he takes it back until, you know, I mean, from the beginning of cinema, honestly. I mean, when you think about Birth of a Nation or you think about the jazz singer, um, through actual uh, African-American filmmakers, Oscar Michaud being the prominent one who, you know, made so many movies back in the early 19th or 20th century. Um, so yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm going on and on about this book. That's but I, I, I say all that to say it made me think that I wanted to be able to contribute to the medium and to be able to tell stories about people of color, uh, black people in particular, um, that you didn't necessarily see all the time. So after you you graduated, you, mm-hmm. you were working at a production company, right? I, okay. I freelanced in post-production okay. for a hot second. Um, then again with me and freelancing (laughs) it does not pay the bills the way i need it to it does not so (laughs) right so go back to the nine to five for a few years um and then after a few years a friend calls who still works in the business and says hey you know i've got something would you like it and i say yes and that brings me to a smaller studio 
um, in post-production, which is new-ish for me, aside from the fact that I had freelanced as a post-production assistant when I first graduated, um, the world of post-production, the, the system of it was, was new to me. But yes, I, I worked for a smaller studio and now I recently, just recently, started at a bigger studio, at a major studio. Yeah. That shall remain. Don't nameless. say don't say just bigger. It's a it's a, it's it's a, a major. It's a much it's a, major. it's a much, much, much bigger. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It's one of the majors. And it's awesome, but we're not gonna name it. Yay. It needless to say, you can't comment on anything that you're currently working on. No, not um, at all. But I can ask, are you enjoying it? Is it something I, is is it what you expected first? And the other question is, if it's not what you expected, are you still enjoying it? It is both what I expected and what I did not expect. Okay. I am enjoying both aspects of that. Post is the final rewrite. Right. And so when you're working in post, even for a studio and and that will be more of the managerial side it's you know you're not one of the freelancers who's actually editing or scoring or doing vfx work but you're managing those aspects and making sure that those craftsmen have what they need mm -hmm. the tools that they need to accomplish the ultimate goal of finishing so it's, the movie. it's all the logistics just getting everything and everyone at the right place at the right time Right. And keeping everyone on budget because that's yes. the biggest schedule and budget, which, you know, we know from pre-pro to production to post schedule and budget, schedule and budget. Um, what's great about post is that you're still getting to interact with lots of really great filmmakers um, and you're helping their process. Uh, you know, it's really, it's really fun. It's fun. It's fun getting to see a movie come all the way together from dailies all the way to the final mix, um, knowing what they shot and then seeing the, the final movie come together. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, there's a light, there's light years of difference. So, with with your busy schedule, do you get to mm -hmm. write at all or work on your no. stuff? No. <laughs> oh, why? No. I have rewrites and rewrites that have been sitting there for years. And, okay, another great thing actually about working in post um, is that it is... I don't want to say it's inspirational because that sounds way cheesy and sentimental and I don't mean for it to sound so sugary sweet. Um, but when you get to watch other people's dailies, I get to study why someone put a camera where they did, right. how they lit something, mm -hmm. why they decided, you know, that they wanted an audience to actually make noise in a, in a take, but in another take, they wanted them to just mime and clap all their noise because they want to be able to fill it in later in post or in the mix or wherever. Um, so seeing why certain people make the decisions that they make is like me 
honing a bunch of tools. And it's like being in school, but getting to watch other people either make the mistakes or make the choices that they do. And me think, how would I have done that differently? Would I have done that differently? Mm -hmm. Holy shit, I didn't think that you could do that. Well, you've got cranes and you've got jib arms and you've got a steady cam dude and you've got, you know, uh, uh, what's this when you pre-visualizations, you have someone who like makes the movie before you make the movie. Um, so it's, it's a lot of learning and that has definitely, and, and seeing how people are putting their stories together in post does then make me feel like, oh, okay, well, you needed XYZ character to do this, or this story point never really came together. How would I have done that in a script? How can I do that in my script? Mm -hmm. um, well, let me tell you what, that's absolutely inspirational. Um, just because it, it feels uh, sugary, maybe saying that it's inspirational. It doesn't yeah, mean that's anything. Want any of oh, it, 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 that just doesn't mean that it's it's bad. I mean, I get inspired by a bunch of stuff, uh, and definitely watching people doing their job and doing it great is very or inspirational it, to me. Or, or, or doing or, it very poorly, of course. Yes, it 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 kind of it 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 jogs that part of your brain that is trying to be creative. Right. It happens to me all the time. It happens when I read something or when I watch something, when I see a, a, a behind the scenes documentary or, um, yes. I don't know. So definitely inspirational. So Yeah. But I wouldn't want any of these filmmakers to think that I feel sentimental because <laughs> many of them I don't. Some of them I do, but many of them I do not. So is being, <laughs> is being a woman, uh, has that been tough for you? <laughs> That's Just, a big ass question. Hey, I gotta ask the big questions, <laughs> right? Hey, I could have um, I could have made that a lot more difficult <laughs> by <laughs> by saying something else. Oh, no. um, but but we have those conversations all the time. Well, here's the Not thing: often. you you are but, you are in the system right now, and you are in the business right now during this Me Too post Me Too movement. Uh, and I'm assuming, I don't know, because I'm not there in LA. I, I don't know. But I'm assuming that things are maybe different than they were two or three years ago. Hopefully. Eh, I mean, different that, I mean, I think this is, it speaks to anytime there's movement or change in, in societal thinking Firstly, people are doing it in a way that helps their bottom lines. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of face value. There's a lot of, um, we can't do that. We shouldn't say that. How do we say this better? Mm -hmm. But how much change is actually going on behind the scenes? <laughs> Creeps, you know, little, little ebbs and flows, starts and fits. Um, I do think, though, that at least the conversation being there is helpful, um, that people are talking about it. Um, being a woman in post, uh, being a woman of color in post, um, 
because if people didn't realize I am a woman of color, um, is still, I'm still way in the minority. I mean, I'm totally always in the room with a bunch of white guys, um, Mm -hmm. and, or just a bunch of guys, uh, is it hard? I, I don't know. It, in some ways it's exhausting. Uh, sometimes it can, it can feel exhausting. Um, sometimes I, or a lot of times I, I sit back and I'm like, and I, and I judge mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, this is like, you see, I see that old boy network at work but I'm very much outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my mind, I know what's happening, but I'm not necessarily judging it in there. And I'm not, not going to be like, Oh, well, you know, you guys, you shouldn't. And da, 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 da. There's just a way to, at least for me, there's a way to navigate through that space that um, you have to be smart about it. You have to be self, preserving about it mm-hmm. um and yeah and also i'm so or i think anyways that i'm relatively new to working in post-production that um i'm more of a sit back and listen and learn and ask questions i ask a lot of questions um because i want to learn and i ask a lot of questions because i know people like to talk Right. And I know that I'll ask questions and then people will be like, Mina, she's a great person. And I'm like, (laughs) you don't even know me, but I asked you a bunch of questions and you talked a lot. So now you like me. And that's great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that that shows you that you've learned to navigate these types of situations. Right. Right. And, and, you know, uh, you're there, you're in the room. Yeah. Which is great. That says something. That that says something. Okay, so how about if we move on to our next segment? Yeah, man. So what's helping us procrastinate in these past few days? All right, so any any books, TV shows, movies, uh, theater shows? Okay, so I watch too much TV. Uh, I really liked Barry. Yes. I finally, I finally watched it and I just, I kind of just binged because I hadn't watched season one and I was looking for, I look for half hour shows mm-hmm. and I mean, even to the point where like I'll do half hour animated stuff. I just, I need little bite sizes that can take me through, you know, a meal or me getting ready for work or just something that I can just kind of, uh, decompose decompose (laughs) something that i can decompress to when i get home um so so yes barry i have to say is probably my my standout uh the last thing that i watched and really really liked yes so good it's 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 great it's it's funny it's i I talked about this on the last podcast that, that i put out with ritesh um okay. and yeah we we talked about Barry for for a little while I was I was telling him how much I love that show 
It's it's so good. The writing is so great. The acting is great. It's dark, but it also has a heart. Yes. Um, I don't know, and oh and and I feel like the character development is fantastic. It's so good. Um, and I just can't wait for season three. <laughs> yeah. And if I, you have a little bit of a theater background, or or you you kind of know how oh, the sausage right. sausage is made, uh, for for actors, it's delicious. I love it. <laughs> Um, it's just, it's so funny. It's so out there and so quirky, but so real. It's just, yeah, it's, it's great. And anything that can allow Hollywood to make fun of itself, I, I will enjoy. <laughs> um, let's see, what else? Uh, Mrs. Fletcher on HBO. It's good. It's good. I enjoy it. And this it is was... this is the series with uh Kathleen Hahn as the Yes. as the protagonist, right? Mhm. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um it was only 8 episodes, so it was Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a good binge. I haven't I haven't seen it. It's it's one of those shows where I I when I sit down to watch uh Watchmen, I kind of see mm -hmm. it there and I say, "Hmm, it looks it right. looks interesting." Um it's on my watch list. On HBO okay, Go, okay, but I haven't, okay. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, okay. I did finish the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the third season. I okay. just finished that maybe a couple days ago. It was okay. Um, it wasn't as magical as the first season. Um, it, and I mean, I know a lot of people either love it or really, really hate it. Mm -hmm. um, don't like all of the fast words and all of the words that fit into like a scene. It's just, I get it. But as a New Yorker living out here, I, I kind of really gravitate towards stories about New York, regardless of the time period. Okay. Um, so I enjoyed the first two seasons this season. Eh, not so much. Oh, it's it too was, bad. It was, yeah. Yeah. It was okay. It was fine. It was no Barry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what, what about books? Any, oh, any books what? or no. audio books? I mean, books or? nope. I have uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' uh, most recent or and his first novel, uh, The Water Dancer. I actually went to see him speak about it, and our former classmate Ryan Coogler oh, really? interviewed him. Oh, nice. Um, so and it was it was a pretty cool event and uh yeah this book which i mean it's sitting on my desk <laughs> um gathering dust right exactly and I, i'm super interested in reading it uh but i just i haven't had time what else am i reading yeah that's pretty much it though unfortunately it's sad right. I, I i own books though i i was an english okay. major yeah. i do own books yeah. <laughs> okay so you're not reading anything you haven't seen any movies lately uh the last movie i saw was atlantique or atlantics it's actually streaming on netflix but i saw it here on the big screen because ava duvernay's um array uh organization they have a campus in echo park and she has a small screening room 
And so she actually uh, screened it and it was the LA, actually, I think it was the US premiere before it went on up on Netflix. Okay. Um, and so Atlantique is a film by Mati Diop and she is, I believe, Senegalese or of Senegalese descent. And it won the Grand Prix at Cannes. Nice. And she was the first African woman to do that. Uh, so that was the last film I think I've seen on the big screen that was not work related. And that was mm, probably a couple months ago. Okay. And it was, it was, it was great. It was, it's beautiful. It's picturesque. I'm really glad that I saw it on a bigger screen. Um, not to say that you shouldn't watch it on Netflix. You should. Um, Just not on your phone. It was, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Please. <laughs> while you're, while you're driving. Sure. Okay. <laughs> But it was it was gorgeous. It was it was beautifully shot, and um, the story uh, behind it, and all of the the magical realism in it. Uh, it was it was great. It was great. Well, for me, um, I did see Frozen Two. Okay. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, with my kids and my wife, and I I really liked the first one. Um, mm-hmm. and it was Alexander's first movie in the theater ah. and he came out singing, <laughs> let it go like everybody else. Um, and when, when this one was announced, you know, first it's, it was no surprise because it made right, over a billion dollars, but I'm always weary about sequels that are yeah. made because of money potential instead of just coming up with a genuine idea first for sure for and sure. that that was my issue with Wreck-It Ralph 2 a movie that I don't care much for um I still haven't watched and it and there's there's an entire podcast dedicated to that which I actually recorded with um with Matt Nyquist <laughs> nice um so for <laughs> listeners if, if you'd like to hear what I have to say about Ricker Ralph too, you can always tune into that podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my issue with Frozen 2 as well. I I, mm. I did like the movie. Okay. Uh, you know, unlike wreck Ralph 2, Frozen takes its, its character seriously and it, it builds on what they've already established in the previous one. Mm. You know, the, the characters, they they change organically and because the story demands it, not just to make the story move along. Um, mm-hmm. And the songs are good. Not great. Mm-hmm. They're not memorable. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. that they didn't get to me because they did. I, I admit to having tears. Um, <laughs> Wait, did they stream down your face, or did they just stay they, up they, in your yeah, eyeballs? It was in the eye. It, it, it was kind of a welling of the eyes. <laughs> it's the emotion that comes when you're watching a, a, a gr- great animation, which it's mm-hmm. fantastic. And when mm-hmm. that is married with music, great music and great words. Mm-hmm. something just happens it's same happens with the lion king same thing happens when i watch frozen one it's i don't know it just it's oh just gosh. there uh i'm a softie for that <laughs> um so yeah so i did have eyes weld <laughs> okay, okay, okay. um uh, but the everything just felt completely unnecessary 
you, you have characters meandering along with very little to do and and and, and then you get you get a, a a pretty substantial retcon in this movie that although it's ingenious it it, it always felt shoehorned somehow mm. just to make things work i'm i'm being very vague just yeah because i don't want to spoil anything for that movie but um yeah and like i said i enjoyed it but okay. like so so many of 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 the disney sequels and remakes nowadays unfortunately i felt it was just completely unnecessary how could i almost forget that you're such a disney head oh yeah I am. <laughs> and speaking of Disney, do you have Disney Plus? No, because what? I don't have children. So why? It does not matter. <laughs> it does not. Look, look, I am loving this. Disney Plus is great. It checks all my boxes. It's great for kids. It has Marvel movies, which I like a lot. And I think they're super fun and, and, and entertaining. Star Wars. I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. I have been since I was a kid. Um, mm -hmm. And I love having all my Star Wars content in one place. It's old school Disney. And not only do we get DuckTales and Darkwing Duck and Gargoyles. Gargoyles? Yes. Yay! Okay. But okay. We, we also have access to many different Disney shorts from way back when. I'm talking about the ones early that need 30s. The the disclaimers All the to the forties. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, shorts I used to watch when I was a kid on the Disney Channel before it became mm -hmm. the regular cable channel with commercials that it is now. Mm -hmm. And it also has boatloads of old school Disney movies like The Absent Mind the Professor and The Strongest Man <laughs> with Kurt Russell and Flight of the Navigator. Yeah. But it's great. I look. I don't I don't know about you but I grew up watching the Disney Channel. And I I used to watch all these old school movies like um Escape from Witch Mountain and Return <laughs> from Witch Mountain <laughs> and Mr. Boogity and all these great well not maybe not great but all these old Disney movies. Right, right. And uh, I don't know. It's great. It's you also oh it, with Disney Plus. You also get a bunch of docs from Nat Geo, right? You you get the entire animated catalog, including all the Pixar stuff. Um, right. With I think Toy Story Four is not there yet, but it'll be there. And there's also this weird Jeff Goldblum uh, show, which I enjoy. It's <laughs> it is. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, I enjoy it for its sheer otherworldly feeling. This thing is bonkers. I mean, you get Jeff Goldblum at his Jeff Goldblumiest ever. He's so eccentric. Doing what? He's I don't. He's just random sh stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's just random. He well, here's the thing. First episode, it's all about tennis shoes. <laughs> okay. And Wait, the tennis like shoe culture. Tennis shoes or, you mean sneakers? Yeah, sneakers. Like sneakerheads and okay. Yeah, yeah. He and he goes to a sneakers, uh, um, uh, a con, uh, a convention, uh -huh. sneaker convention. Okay, the and, one in in Houston. I don't know. It's one okay. of those. 
Um, <laughs> and it's just, it's, he's weird, but in this show, it's just to the nth degree. And it's, it's not a show for everybody. Cause I know people who have started watching it and they say, okay, this is not for me, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I just like the way he is and his weirdness. It's just great. Um, and then there's The Mandalorian, uh, a show that was created specifically for Disney Plus. Oh, for you! I thought you were going to say for you. <laughs> and it's it's the first live action Star Wars TV show. So I've I've seen all all the chapters that have come out until now from The Mandalorian, uh, and I'm I'm still on the fence about it. Really? Yeah. Because I thought everyone who watches The Mandalorian is like, oh my god, this no. is the shit. It's the greatest. Wah, wah, wah. And I'm still watching it, just not immediately. <laughs> Maybe a couple <laughs> days after. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're also okay. relying on, on us, the fans, to tune in for, for the nostalgia, which right. I get because it does have similar aesthetics right. to the original trilogy. And... It is this nostalgia that got us the show that we're going to talk about today because ah, yes. I know, I know, thanks to many interviews that he's done, that uh, Damon Lindelof holds the Watchmen graphic novel in very high regard mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. a, a, a seminal work that has influenced many of the things that he's uh, written. And this show, with, with it, he goes back to the source material to adapt or more precisely interpret how the story would unfold in the present right. so how about we dig into our feature segment yeah man let's get it all right this is a discussion of the hbo series watchmen episodes one through eight okay so here's a brief synopsis of the show from the internet movie database set in an alternate history where masked vigilantes are treated as outlaws watchmen embraces the nostalgia of the original groundbreaking novel of the same name while attempting to break new ground of its own. Now, here's our one and only spoiler warning. We will be talking about the original graphic novel. I don't know in how much detail we're going to be delving into that, but we will mention it. Um, we'll probably mention the movie, maybe. And of course... The current Watchmen series, which is minutes away from premiering its finale. So we have no way of knowing how it all ends. Right. So don't judge my comments. All right. Now, uh, Yamina, I know that I was the one who proposed <laughs> recording this episode. Yes. But why were you compelled to do this? So it's funny because in thinking about this conversation... Um, about Watchmen, I was like, I don't think that we ever actually talked, text, emailed about why I started watching this show. Well, I texted you and said, we were talking about something else. And then I said, by the way, have you seen Watchmen? And then you said, no, I hear it's great. And I'm probably going to watch it this Thanksgiving. Right. Because I was like two episodes behind. Everybody uh -huh. else had already started watching. And so the thing with me and Watchmen in general as a story is I have only, I only read the book the first time maybe five or six years ago. Like this is not a book that I grew up with. I'm not, I'm not a comic book head, but I'm like mm -hmm. 
comic book head adjacent. I am right. I am nerd boy adjacent. And it's so I didn't grow up with it. I didn't grow up with the whole like, oh my gosh, it's the best book ever, blah, 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 blah. Um, and when I read it, honestly, I was like, Meh, okay, like, sure. I bought it because my neighbors were having a moving sale and they were selling it for five bucks. And I was like, you know what? That's something that I should have read knowing all of my nerd boyfriends. So yes. Um, <laughs> and I had no intentions on watching the show. Like, too much to watch. Regina King, great actress, great. I love that she's in all of the advertising, but I don't have time for another show. So had no intention on watching it whatsoever. And then I started hearing about how the first episode had the uh, destruction of Black Wall Street. And I was like, oh, there's a movie, TV show. There's something that's talking about that aspect of history. Let's see how they butcher it. And then everyone was like, no, it didn't butcher it at all. It was actually really good. Like, you need to see it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, okay, let me do this. And so then I did. And then I was like, oh, shit. This is dope as hell. This is blackity blackness. <laughs> like, I just, I love everything about it. I love the characters, the stories are crazy. And then, you know, it's Damon Lindelof. And then I heard, uh, so I'd watched like the first two, I think two or three episodes. And then I heard um, a, a podcast that he did or an interview that he did and hearing what inspired him to do it and how he composed his writer's room and how he thoughtfully went about it made me say, okay, I'm a fan. I want to watch this. And I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm thoroughly entertained by it and, and definitely behind it. And I, yeah. And anything that I've tried to guess was going to happen hasn't, <laughs> which is <laughs> awesome. That's great. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Cause it is a, it is a mystery show, a mystery ish show. It's, it's, um, it has episodes that are kind of procedural, um, right? And it has that that th well, the original novel starts with a murder, right? And it's us trying to find out, Who? or one of the characters trying to find out what happened, right? And that's basically what happens in this series as well, right? That's true. That's true. And it's funny. Uh I, so we, and I think we had talked about this already, but I then went back to the book and I'm still in the book. I think I'm at chapter nine. I'm kind of buzzing through. I'm not really reading the interstitial bits, just trying to remember and, and go back through the actual story mm -hmm. of, of, the, of Watchmen. But watching Watchmen and reading the book, they're bringing things together in a way that, I wouldn't have known if I was just watching the show. Mm -hmm. Like, I think anyone can just watch the show and still be really entertained and really pulled in. But now reading the book, I'm like, oh, he pulled that. Oh, that's yeah. from there. Oh, okay. Ah, okay. And it's making me actually enjoy the book a little bit more. Sorry, Alan Moore. I know mm -hmm. you would hate to hear that. Um, <laughs> well, the thing is, he, he Lindelof and, and his his people in the writing room they they do have these easter eggs or these homages 
um, or just little storylines that do harken back to the original source material, but it doesn't feel like they are um, bastardizing it or cheapening it yeah, or yeah that. And it also doesn't feel like they are doing it to please the fans or anything like that. They're right. doing it because it just makes sense to the story that they're telling. Right. And they're telling a good ass story. Yes. Yes. All right. So, um, but I mean, even like the title cards, it's funny because the title <laughs> cards themselves are so cinematic and now I'm reading the book and I'm like, Oh, so now I'm seeing the cinema of a graphic novel and how that all works yeah. because um spoiler alert to all of my nerd friends i don't really like reading comics <laughs> i don't like i can never figure out which bubble i'm supposed to read first and there's so much going on and i'm trying to just read the words but then i gotta be looking at the pictures and i just it never it wasn't it, no <laughs> i'm sorry i know i've just lost a lot of friends <laughs> it's all right it's all right that's part oh. of the fun trying to figure out which bubble to read first <laughs> when you get halfway through and then you you say okay this does not make any sense right. at all <laughs> and this bubble is smooth but this bubble is jagged so i don't know what the difference is and why that just, oh. <sighs> but yeah graphic novels are very cinematic and the title cards I think the way they do it on the show is almost the way they do it on the graphic novel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love them. <laughs> yeah. Well, my first encounter with, with Watchmen was at a comic book store in Puerto Rico. Mm. Um, however, I had no idea what it was. Mm. I, 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 Like you, I was never a comics guy. I... I liked to look at the illustrations, but I never followed any of the stories. Neither the watch the the neither Watchmen or or Superman or or, or X Men or none of that. I knew they existed, and I knew about the X Men cartoons, which I did watch. But as far as the comics go, I I, I never really followed that. Um, and. I remember, you know, just being intrigued when the issues of Superman's death came out. So I went into the comic book store just to see what the whole thing was about and how he died. And then um, these other issues came out of imposters claiming that they were Superman. And then there was a question of who's the real Superman. So I remember just going through those as well. Yeah. Um, but I didn't see the book Watchmen again until years later um, mm -hmm. I was in college and there was a bookstore way back when called Borders <laughs> <laughs> and I used to hang out there a lot in my college years and I distinctly remember looking at the cover with the with the blood splatter on the smiley face oh. and thinking oh that looks awesome mm -hmm. and so I opened it and, you know, I leafed through it, some of the pages. But for some reason, I just, I don't know, I didn't buy it or, I don't know. I was probably too looking at something else. I don't know. 
Right, right, right. Maybe thinking about the Matrix or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then years later, they announced the movie was coming out. And I remember the book. So I went out and I bought it. And that was a great read. I really wasn't expecting to enjoy the that novel so much um because mm-hmm. again i i wasn't really used to reading any other comics um and the storytelling was great i i was hooked with the style the non-linear narrative the violence mm-hmm. <laughs> um and and most of all the way it upended the the superhero genre mm-hmm. um so when the show was announced, I was on board from the moment that I found out that it was mm. a Damon Lindelof project. Mm. Um, well, and, because you're a lost, we yeah. had the lost conversation. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've said many times everywhere and, and here on the pod that mm. I'm a diehard Lost fan. And so, you know, by default, a, right, Lindelof, exactly. a Lindelof show is a show that I'm definitely going to see. Um, yeah. You know, Lost is my favorite show ever. It's a, it's a, I know it's a controversial statement to say. And, that is. But I, I, I do believe that it ushered in a slew of, of genre TV shows that tried to emulate and capture its magic and, and just failed miserably. And looking back, okay. That's you fair. know, Lost is a show that it was just caught between two worlds network tv and the streaming revolution i remember the first three seasons of lost were the classic 22 23 24 episode per season Mm -hmm. and then from series from from season four on they were like 16 episodes per season right so and nowadays we have seasons that last Ten, nine, eight episodes. Eight episodes, yeah. Um, so anyway, anyway, uh, not only was Damon Lindelof the co-creator on Lost, but his follow-up show, The Leftovers, is my number two favorite show. <laughs> I haven't watched The Leftovers because it sounds so... Okay. So what? Just say it. So what? Depressing. Yes, it is. Right. It and is. And so here's the thing with me and entertainment at this point in life, <laughs> post post 2016 elections, <laughs> is that I need things that can't resemble what we're currently going through and be even more depressed or depressing. So no, I'm not going to watch The Handmaid's Tale. Because I'm very sure that that could be tomorrow. I don't know that I want to watch The Leftovers. I hear brilliance. I hear wonderful. I hear thought-provoking. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it was only how many seasons? Three. And that was it, right? That's it. It's three seasons is done. Yeah. Three was seasons it hour done. or half hour? It's an hour. But the last season... Yeah. The last season has eight episodes, I think. Okay. Yeah, That's or, something yeah. that I could go back to. Knowing that it's closed-ended, um, there are a bunch of HBO things that I actually want to get into, and that is somewhere on the list. The Night Of is 
the first thing that I want to watch. Mm. But um, but I, I heard a lot of good things about The Leftovers. So, well, for me, The Leftovers oh. was was the first show that gutted me. It mm. affected my emotions in such a way that sometimes I just couldn't get out of bed after watching an episode. It's okay. yeah, it's it's a show <laughs> like it's a show about grief, um, about loss, about love, uh, forgiveness, and to some extent about faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside of how I felt about the content as a product the show was operating on just a different level than anything on TV. Mm, mm. Um, so the risk the writers were taking, the way they were framing the seasons to be cohesive narratives within themselves without having to rely on on cliffhanger or, or, or setup for the following season, it was just masterful and, and frankly mm. brave on their part. And I find it interesting that for the first season, you know, they adapted the novel by Tom Parada, The, the Leftovers. Mm-hmm. Um, then the following two seasons, they built upon it, but they weren't tied to it. Mm, and they okay. made seasons two and three all the more special to me. Um, so anyway, this is my long-winded way of saying... <laughs> <laughs> you were gonna watch Watchmen. What I was expecting with this TV show was something like that. That they were okay. that they were gonna not only adapt Watchmen, but build on it and riff on existing stuff and instead of of, of trying to make a sequel. Um mm. so after watching these eight episodes, what 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 do you think of the show? How do you feel about it? I mean, I know, I know you feel like they're doing it right, but what about it feels right? Um, it feels authentic. It feels, um, and this is coming from not having seen the movie, so I right. Well, it, it talk barely about has anything to do with the movie. I mean, it has right. some of the characters, but this is thirty years after those events. Right, right. Um, and even the ending of the movie is completely different from what actually mm. happened. So there's no squid in the movie, oh, which is ridiculous. Okay. Oh, yes, okay. no squid. Yeah, that's that's. So dumb. whoever watched okay. the movie and is and is watching the show is probably a little bit lost. Okay. Because there's okay. no mention, not even one single of... mention of a squid in the movie. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they make it out to be Dr. Manhattan's fault at the end or some crap like that. <laughs> oh, no. You obviously don't have my background with, with Lindelof shows. Right. Um, so you were expecting something post-Game of Thrones and now mm. watching it with, with what you now know. Um, mm-hmm. And... and because you started watching it and you already knew that it had the Tulsa massacre, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, um, and is... I didn't know that that was going to be such a key part of the story going throughout. Like I almost thought it was just going to be a set piece mm-hmm. of kind of 
you know, when people throw in history into shows just so that people will know, hey, this is a thing that actually happened. Mm-hmm. I thought that that's what that was going to be. And that's what it's I feel gonna... is, is so great about what they did here. Because it does, it does work that way. Right. I had no idea about this episode. I, I had no right. idea that the Tulsa massacre even happened. Right. I had to Google it afterward to make sure that that what I was watching actually happened. Because I couldn't right. believe it. <laughs> Um, so, so, so my, my perspective on it is completely different from yours. Cause you were, right. you knew about this part of history, right? Yes. And yes. you came into the show already knowing that they were depicting it. So, right. so and with your background, what they were going to do with it. How, how, how does that show, uh, feel now that, that it's coming to an end and, and how do, do these last eight episodes, um, measure up to you to what you were expecting and and how you feel about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I come back to the to the word authentic again, just because it wasn't that set piece that oh let me show you a piece of history. Okay, now we're in the present day and blah blah blah. Like it's constantly it's a it's a moving part of the story. Like it's linchpin. It's it's these characters wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that way, you're grounding this thing that has happened that most people don't know actually happened. Some people might think it's revisionist history or don't want to believe that it could happen, that a either Black people could be successful and be rich in this country or that a group of poor white people could be so ruthless, so ruthless, so fed a narrative that they believed that what these people had, what these black people had should have been theirs or was wrongfully taken. Like it's, there's race. There's also class. There's always class elements involved Mm -hmm. with race elements in this country. Um, uh, specifically when it comes to poor white people and them not realizing that they're pawns, you're, you're pawns in the game, man. Like, <laughs> sorry to say it, but yeah. Um, but yeah. So the fact that it, it, it flows through and is still a part of, of, of the story eight, episodes in nine episodes in even if there's going to be a second season which i know lindelof says there isn't or at least one interview i heard he said there wasn't going to be one but i don't know this the the preview that they showed last week they said season finale not series finale so i'm like "Mm, hey you gotta cover your bases yeah (laughs) um but yeah it just it it reinforces the fact that it happened and it was real. And sometimes people don't believe that things happened unless it's shown to them, mm-hmm. even in a, in a, in a made up way, not saying that this was made up, but I mean, clearly you have to craft a story. Um, you have to craft scenes and images and stuff like that. So in that way, things are, created um and i just i think it's really powerful that it 
becomes a part of people's dialogue and, and conversation and, and is brought back into history telling. That's, that's powerful for me. Um, it's also powerful that, and I think there have been plenty of, of think pieces and um, articles written, and I'm sure plenty of dissertations will be written in the future um, about how Black superheroes pull from very real pain to then try to change the world or mm -hmm. change their circumstances and, and, and the circumstances of people around them and how, how viscerally uh, impactful that is and how uh, tangibly forceful that is when, when your backstory is steeped in a very real violent, painful past. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's why to me, the show is, is awesome. And you don't feel at all like it's doing some cultural appropriation or anything like that? Uh, no, because I know that he, equaled out his not I, I won't even say equaled out but he made sure that his writer's room reflected the story that he's trying to tell mm -hmm. so that for me is like thank you <laughs> like that's all you know it's it, it's not a handout it's a oh look we can actually tell really great stories too and and be a part of that space and be super successful and super brilliant at it um I, it's funny because knowing there, there are two things that I've, I've read recently, um, regarding superheroes and specifically Watchmen, um, uh, Boots Riley, do you know him? He made, uh, Sorry to Bother You, I've, which came out. I've, I've uh, heard about him and I've heard about that. Uh, Sorry to Bother You. I haven't okay. either seen so, it or. Okay, so sorry to bother you. Was that last year? Mm -hmm. Year before? I don't remember. It was last year? I think it was last 2018. year. Yeah, yes, it was 2018. Way, That's right. There were people who loved that, and there were people who completely hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I, they had no idea what was going on. Right, right. I, I loved it because it was so fucking weird. It was great. Yeah. I love that show. So, and, and you, you know I'm a sucker for those. So I, right. I, know, I know about the movie. Mm -hmm. um it's just i it's one of those things yeah. that i just haven't had the time to to see it yeah 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 and if it's not like super kids if you have to put the kids to bed <laughs> or do <laughs> yeah. it when the kids aren't around and that is definitely a movie that the children should not be seeing <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> but um recently boots riley said something um about the joker actually and he said that um about this recent Joker movie that just came out that mm -hmm. he thought that a lot of, a lot of these superhero movies are like cop movies, essentially where the idea that 
the people who are rebelling and in the streets and who are, you know, mad and aren't going to take it anymore and they're violent and there's an uprising. And then it's almost that the rich people are the ones that are um, the calm and, and everyone is trying to bring civility, quote unquote, back to this violent or violence plagued city um, and those people who are troublemakers, they must be mad. And his, his thought or his argument is that the people who are poor and mad and angry don't realize that they're mad and angry because those quote unquote civilized rich people are the ones that made it that way. And then thinking about what Alan Moore has said about superhero movies in general, in terms of, um, he actually, he went further than that and said that, um, and I'm paraphrasing all of this probably horribly, but whatever, <laughs> um, that uh, superhero movies are almost steeped in, not, or maybe not even almost, but can be steeped in an idea of white supremacy. Um, going back to Birth of a Nation, where the Klan was the hero mm -hmm. who was saving, you know, white women from being raped by savage black men. Um, and so superhero movies throughout time have been about these hierarchical types who are here to bring calm and restore order to uh, an uncivilized, violent group of people. And so with those types of ideas and, and thoughts coming back into, uh, into, into, the, into the zeitgeist or into the conversation, and then thinking about how that plays with Watchmen and this iteration of this superhero book that Mr. Moore created, I wonder, I know he's not going to watch it, mm -hmm. but I wonder what his take would be on it right. with that in mind, you mm -hmm. know? It's kind of like how Scorsese and this whole like, oh, superhero movies aren't movies or whatever. Aren't cinema, yeah. Right, aren't cinema. And I, I read his piece and I, I think there's a lot to what he's saying. I I. I don't have a dog in the fight, let's say. I'm not for Scorsese. I'm not for Marvel. I, I'm entertained by both, and everyone can have an opinion. This is America, home of the free, rah, rah, rah. Um, but my one question for Scorsese would be, did he watch Black Panther? Because that was a movie that wasn't about, that was able to pull from a different, story mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah and so it's funny how black people and black stories can ground a superhero movement in in reality um am i saying that black people are here to save the world i mean maybe maybe i mean you know i don't know there's this whole <laughs> afrofuturistic movement that might say the same i don't know but um 
but yeah, I, so, I mean, all things to, all things to think about, all things that I think about as I'm entertained. I, I don't, I don't know that I have an opinion per se, um, but they're all things that I think about. And I love the fact that people are talking about it and that we get to watch it and enjoy it mm -hmm. and to have these kinds of discussions about it is, is great. It's, it's great. So yeah, I love the show. I love, um, I love seeing how the characters interact with each other. Um, I mean, okay. And yes, big ass spoiler alert, but even that for when did dude get lynched or lynch himself? Uh, um, Judd? Don Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call him Don Johnson. <laughs> Judd Crawford was his name, yes. I think. Uh, you mean uh, when? That was the, the end of... Was that first It was the episode or second? Yeah, yeah the end of the second. first episode. Right. And that was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, I was gutted because here was this like white man fatherly figure to like and he was singing to the family and i was like oh no what happened <laughs> which by the like, way which by the way that's that's one of the things that i i kind of noticed um because back in in lost uh when they were writing the pilot for lost mm -hmm. one of the things that they wanted to do was they wanted to stunt cast the character of Jack and have him die mid through the pilot and then oh. Kate would take over and the guy who was going to play him is supposedly it was going to be um uh Batman what's his name Batman I'm Batman which one Michael, Michael Keaton Michael Keaton yes yeah oh really yeah yeah so he was going to be Jack, and then after he was dead, uh, Kate was going to take over. So they didn't do it oh. in Lost, but Damon probably just carried it over to the series. <laughs> He's like, I always wanted to do it. And, and it, it's great. It's great. Oh, my gosh. Um, just because of the repercussions, because it's not just a stunt cast or or or... Or just a scene to, for us to go like you went and oh, crap, this is right, the way it right. is, and, and just a very cool cliffhanger. But it has a bunch of repercussions and um, everything that leads to that, and not only that, with this final episode, with this last episode that we've seen, episode eight, mm -hmm. we know why, because Angela told him. Right. Oh my gosh. Like what? Like what? Oh. So it all it all ties back. It all it's all circular. It's it's fantastic. Oh it's fantastic. Gosh. And can we just talk about Lou Gossett Jr.? I know, right? I mean, someone who I don't recall the last thing I saw him in just kind of assumed that you know, the next time we'd see him would be in an in memoriam. Like, no disrespect, but I i mean, the fact that he is at his age and doing this and doing it this well, holy yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. 
Hey everybody, this is Richard jumping in real quick to let you know that this is the conclusion of part one of our discussion about Watchmen. And it ends with our next episode. So stay tuned.